0: Good crowd. How did you guys' Christmas go? Good one? Okay. Yeah. Uh, any good gifts? I went to Virginia and got a cold. So uh, I don't know if that's a gift or what, you know. So uh, when I, after the first service, I was so hoarse, and I may get that way during the service. I've already already drank five bottles of water this morning. If I have to leave and go to the bathroom, you'll understand. Um, Somebody gave me a whole handful of cough drops, so if you need one during the service, just raise your hand and I'll toss it, okay? So we got a bunch there. I didn't give me one, they gave me like 20, you know, I was going like, good grief, I can't suck on all those in the next half an hour, so we'll see. Glad you had a great week, I hope uh, you had a a good good holiday, had time with family, friends, had a great one with my family uh, in Virginia. And, uh, you know, actually a blessing after shared a couple of weeks ago about our, <laughs> our relational chaos. And uh, I want to let you know that God is good. And, uh, and when you strive to be a peacemaker, sometimes uh, they, they actually respond. And uh, that did. We did. So we had a great time with all my uh, brothers in laws, all five of them. I think it's five of them. I can't remember. I can't count that high. But. Uh, So anyway, it was good. Um, This morning, what I want you to do, we're going to have a little crowd participation as we start this morning, just to kind of get you to kind of like, uh, you know, you've been sitting not seeing each other, some some of you had not been here for a week or so, maybe you were gone, doing whatever. So right now, what I want you to do is I want you to think about the best Christmas gift that you got this year, the best Christmas gift you got this year. It doesn't have to be a thing. And I want you to turn to somebody near you and share what that is. You have 30 seconds to go. You have 10 seconds. <laughs> I would have expected a little more liveliness in that. In, you know, I don't know if your house was as quiet as that during Christmas, but with all of my family together and all of them as quiet as I am, uh, you can imagine. You know, just uh, just quiet. Everybody sits around you know, holds their hands and prays a lot. No, that's not what happened. So uh, it was noisy. So I'm good. you if you guys are quiet, I don't know, maybe you ate too much or whatever. So um, what I want to do this morning is I want to begin our service today by actually reading the scripture that we're going to talk about today. And as I read this scripture, uh, what I want to do is I want you to do something. I want you to think about something. Here's the question I want you to think about as I read this scripture to you, it comes out of Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, I want you to think about the one thing that really grabs your attention, the one thing that stands out the most to you, okay, because at the end, when I finish reading it, you get to turn back to the person you just talked to and tell them what that was, okay. You're going, oh, no, crowd participation. Oh, well, you know, just deal with it. And uh, it's not that hard. So there's no right or wrong answer, by the way, because it's just whatever grabs your attention. It could be anything. So let's, let's uh, look, look today at that. For those of you who, uh, who are visual learners, we're going to put it on the screen as well as we go through this. Um, if you have your Bible, uh, you want to grab it and hold on to it. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Let me just read this. Once again, the question is, what is the one thing here that grabs your attention Or stands out the most to you. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Okay, remember the question? What a thing, and and that passage of scripture, just one thing stood out to you. You have 30 seconds to share with somebody near you. Go now. Hey, Trisha, you need a cough drop? <laughs> okay. Okay, good. Okay. Okay. Um, what stood out to you? You know, maybe it was that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. And you're going like, well, I didn't know Jesus tempted anybody. Maybe that was a confusing thing for you. Or maybe these, what stood out was you the fact that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. You're going like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I couldn't fast for one day, you know. I learned a terrible thing this morning. I learned, three people told me this going out the door, that Krispy Kreme donuts <laughs> in Peoria have closed down. Did you know that? I mean, they weren't open anytime. time. And you don't understand, you know, if I was tempted by anything, it would be a Krispy Kreme donut. Because for 13 years in Virginia, when I was my pastor of a church there, two blocks from my church was a Krispy Kreme donut. Still there. You know, every day I went by there, donuts, hot and fresh. You know, so maybe that was what stood out to you when you read this about the fasting part. Or maybe it was the whole devil thing. You know, you're kind of struggling with this whole devil thing. And uh, you're asking, well, what did the devil look like? Did he have a pitchfork and, you know, horns? And was he red? You know, was that the deal? What did he look like? Uh... For me, I've often wondered if Jesus got close to giving into temptation, or how close he got to giving into temptation. For the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we're tempted. And I'm wondering, you know, as after he had been sitting you know, there and fasting in the, in, the, in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, how close he came to giving in to temptation, that he was there because he had to be weak in a weakened state. What I hope more than anything that you will have gotten from these verses, though, is this, is how Jesus responded to the temptations, how he responded to the temptations. Jesus faces three life situations here, and in each one, we know what he did and why he did it, because how he responded was, in each temptation, Jesus dealt with it by focusing upon what God says in his word in the Bible. And then what he did, he didn't just quote the Bible, but Jesus decided to, what he was going to do based on what was in the Bible. So it wasn't just knowledge, it was transformation. And his relationship with the Bible was central to Jesus' life. We're starting a new series today called Food for the Soul. And as we start this series, the whole it, the purpose of this series is to help us to understand some things about the Bible. Because the fact is, almost everybody in this this country owns at least one of these. The statistics show that 93% of people in America own a Bible. It shows that the average number of Bibles per household is three. It also shows that 27% of Americans own four or more of these. You know, kind of like the Gideons, you have one in every bedroom, you know. (laughs) I mean, you have a lot of these things. But while most of us have one of these, what are we supposed to do with it? Are we supposed to just, are we supposed to study it? Are we supposed to memorize it? Are we supposed to follow it like a book of rules? Are we supposed to use it like a reference book? Are we supposed to uh, just read from it on certain occasions like funerals and weddings? What do we do with this, this book? The story I just read from you about Jesus, we're going to look at today, tells us what to do with this book because Jesus' life shows that the one thing he did with this book was this he consumed it, he ate this book. You're going, that's kind of weird. Well, you ever heard the phrase, um, you are what you eat? I didn't know that was actually some some philosopher or somebody made that up years ago. And basically it means what you put into your life, what comes out of your life. And Jesus was so consumed, he so consumed God's word, he so ate God's word, that it became a central part of everything he did. Not just his thinking, but his actions as well. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at this passage of Scripture uh, that we just read and we just thought about a little bit because it tells us so much, it gives us the best example in all the world of how we're to consume God's Word and how it is to be lived out in our lives. If you have your Bible with you today, if you've not already turned to it, uh, turn with me to to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to go back through these verses that we just read and we're going to look at them a little bit in more detail. Because it has a tremendous amount of things to tell us about not only how Jesus did, but it parallels what, how we're to approach life in the same way. <clears throat> I love this story because it's not just temptations that Jesus faced. It's about temptations we all face. You know, Jesus, the first part, the first temptation is Jesus had been fasting for spiritual reasons for 40 days. And, and the Bible says, says this in verse 2. It says, after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh, <laughs> I mean, like sometimes it's so obvious. It's if you hadn't eaten forty days, forty nights, you think you'd be hungry. Jesus was fully human; he was hungry. I don't know if he was thinking about Krispy Kreme donuts, but he was thinking. Probably had some thoughts about food. Probably by that time he could have eaten shoe leather, and he would have been, you know, something to make him. But, and so we see that. And so Satan, the devil, comes to him, and it says he says this to him in verse. Um, In in verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, it's kind of interesting that that's the temptation that Jesus is facing. Basically, Satan says to him, Hey, hey Jesus, you have the power to do something about your temptation. You have the power to do something that probably no one else can do. Matter, Matter of fact, no one else can do. And that's turn stones into bread. Because it says that in Scripture. And most of us, while we're not tempted to turn stones into bread because we can't do it to start with, we have the same problem in our life. We have areas in our life that sometimes when we get into a weakened state, we're tempted by. But Jesus says it's not time to end his fast yet, so what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Well, the parallel is that we all have weaknesses. Anybody, Anybody here have a weakness? Don't raise your hand. I know you do. All of us have weaknesses. Maybe your weakness, the thing that tempts you more than anything else, is not food. Maybe it is food. I mean, I don't know. You know, know. Krispy Kreme's a long way away, but I go to Jubilee a lot. And over there in the the case, there's all those really nice donuts, you know. You know, or maybe that doesn't tempt you at all. Maybe it's somewhere else in in the store. Usually it's, we're hardly ever tempted by, you know, uh, by rice cakes, are we? (laughs) But it's always something, you know, that's probably bad for us that, we need to, that we're tempted by. And so what's your weak spot? Maybe it's your weakness is success, your strive for success. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's power or acceptance. Maybe you crave respect and acceptance from people that you love, and when you don't get it, maybe you get angry and you rage at them because, you know, they don't give you what you think you deserve. Maybe that's your weakness. Maybe you have a problem, and I'll just use this word to have a problem with sex. I mean, it was a great book I saw. I, don't, I haven't read the book, but it was the book I liked the title. It said, Sex isn't the problem, and the subtitle is Lust Is. You know, maybe that's your weakness, your problem, the thing that draws you there. And the question is, when we encounter weaknesses in our life, how do we deal with them? Will we deal with them if, we do, if we're smart. We deal with them the way that Jesus dealt with his problems, with his weaknesses, with his temptations. How did Jesus deal with the temptation of fasting and being hungry? And Satan said, hey, turn these stones into bread. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so amazing what he, what he says. It's so simple. He says, uh, Jesus answers in verse 4, it is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He knows scripture. It's become a part of his life, and it guides his actions. And what Jesus is saying here to Satan is saying this, you know, yeah, I'm hungry. I'll admit it. I have this temptation. But I need God more than I need food right now. And because of that, I'm not going to respond to the feelings that I have. I'm going to respond to what's the best thing to do. And in doing so, I know that I need to continue this fast and not respond to the temptation of giving in to that very base temptation that he had. How do you do that? Well, in Scripture, the Bible that Jesus read, the Old Testament, he says, it says this, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. And he knows that that meant that, that, that God's word, this book, is not just to be placed on a coffee table or put on a shelf or in a drawer next to our bed. but this book is, is to be consumed, to be eaten. So it becomes who we are, and we live out of the response. The responses of life come out of God's book. And that's what Jesus did here in his first temptation. That's the first one. Now the second one is, is a little differently. It's a little different. Beginning with verse five, it says this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. I call this the Star Trek moment. Those of you not Trekkies don't understand exactly. I mean, like, how did he get there? Did he say, Scotty, beam me up? You know? And, you know, he takes him to, and I don't know. Maybe he, devil, it says the devil took him there. I don't know if they climbed up there, how he got there. Just all of a sudden they're there on the highest hill overlooking this place. And, 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 it's, and it says he took him there. And, and, and then the, Satan says this. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a temptation I've ever had. <laughs> Get on a high, high heel and throw myself down. But the issue here is then what Satan does next shows that Satan's a quick learner. He really is. He's not dumb. Because remember what Jesus' response to the temptation was in the first? It was what? Quoting scripture and then applying scripture. So Satan says, oh, well, if Jesus can do it, I can do it. And so what he does is he quotes, Satan quotes scripture. He, he quotes a, a passage out of Psalm 91. It says this, Satan says, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, while most of us aren't tempted to do anything exactly that way, the parallel here for us is this. If Jesus had done that, what he would be presuming is he would be presuming upon God. He would be simply saying, hey, God, I'm going to do this, and I want you to bless me, and I want you to make everything all right. And we do that all the time. I do that all the time. You do that all the time. We presume upon God. We'll do things that are totally opposed to God's word, and then we'll just go. Christians do this. And then we ask God to bless us, to to rescue us, to save us. You know, it's, I don't know about you, but, you know, I've known Christians that, uh, when I was a youth director, I constantly told kids, I said, you know, one of the problems so often we have is we don't follow God's word and then we get in trouble. And one of the areas of that, I've known Christians who simply, who date non-Christians and they marry non-Christians and then they ask God to bless it. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible says clearly that we're not to be unequally yoked. It's not because we're better or worse. It's simply because he says the value system of a person who doesn't have your same values will cause chaos in your relationship. And so because of that, guess what it means? It means we have to limit our choices. But that's a good thing. God does it for our protection. But so often we simply go ahead with our plans because, oh, he's so cute. Or she's, man, she's gorgeous, man. It has to be God's will. I heard that all the time. You know, it's like. (sighs) But the issue is here, so often we presume upon God, and that's what Satan, the temptation here, is to Jesus throw himself off a temple. Just presume that God's going to save you. He'll do it. And so often we just do that. But then what does Jesus do? How does he respond to this temptation to presume upon God? He says in verse 7. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't put God on the spot. Don't do the stuff expecting God to bail you out. And once again, where did he get his response from? That is a quote from Scripture that had become such a part of his life that Jesus not only knew Scripture, but he applied it to every part of his life. Third scenario. Third scenario, beginning getting with verse 8. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain. And this is kind of a really bizarre scenario, so I don't know how he did this. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And then Satan says this, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, I've never been tempted to worship Satan, have you? Don't raise your hand either if you have, okay. But that's not the issue here. It's not about worshiping Satan. It's about worshiping something other than God. That's the issue here that we see in this passage and what, what Satan is tempting Jesus to do. Worship something other than the object of our worship, God. This was about bowing down to anyone or anything other than God because Jesus uh, responds really simply in verse 10. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And at that, we find the conclusion of this. Satan goes away. We'll read the last verse in a few moments. But the issue is this, is that this temptation, we don't have the temptation to serve Satan. But the issue here for us personally is that so often in life, we serve something other than God. We have that temptation. We allow the temptations of success or work or relationships to become more important to us than the one thing the Bible says clearly that should be our number one priority, and that is worshiping God. You know, I've told you before, I'll tell you again. And I believe this truly. I mean, if you want to know what what my priorities are in my life, and I want to know what your priorities are in your life, I only have to do look at two things, your calendar and your checkbook. And that will tell me everything about you. And it'll tell you everything about me if you look at it long enough and hard enough. You know, you need to ask yourself, we had to ask ourselves, you know, maybe it's work, maybe, maybe work's become that which is more important to me in life. The career is over everything else. Maybe it's the whole thing of relationships, maybe dating relationships or, or romance or whatever that, is, whatever that may be, you know, that may be something more important. see the thing is jesus in every area here responded in the same way he had he had taken scripture into his life in such a way that it had become a part of him and he actually applied it to his life now he'd actually in, in a real sense he had actually consumed he had eaten this book they're going like where did you get that weird phrase from well it's all through scripture Let me give you some examples of that, because the imagery comes from the Bible itself. For instance, over in Jeremiah, it says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. In Revelation, John writes, he said to me, take and eat it. And I took the scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. And there's another one in Job, and there's several others, but I'm not going to all of them. In Job, it says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, the reason I use that imagery, because I think hopefully you'll remember it better than just saying you need to read this book. You don't just need to read the book, you need to eat the book, you need to consume God's word, because I don't know what you were taught about what to do with this book. I mean, maybe you were just taught by example that this this is something we just leave laying around the house. Maybe you were taught, like I was, to read this book. But you really weren't taught how to read this book. You weren't given a plan. And I wish that somebody years ago had said to me, Bill, you need to eat this book. You need to consume God's Word. It needs to be such a vital part of your life that when you get to any time in life, whether it be a high time or a low time, God's Word comes to mind. So what we want to do in this series this week, and actually starting this week, in the next couple of weeks, next couple of weeks, I'm going to flesh this out much more, is we want to give you some tools to learn how to eat this book. Because there's nothing in this world that you could do this year that would make more of an impact in a positive way upon your life than to consume God's word and apply it to your life. A couple of things today we're going to start with. I'm going to share with you a couple of tools real quick. And you can use them this week. We'll, we'll have them online and some stuff. A couple of things. Some of you like uh, to write stuff down. You need you like paper stuff. Okay, here it is. Um, out in the lobby at the, at the, at the uh, welcome desk, information desk, we have uh, some copies of this thing called a life journal. Uh, this is like 250, I think, is what the cost of this is. And the thing is, in here it has a Bible reading plan. I mean, most of us need a plan. Because if you think you read the Bible like you do every other book, and you start reading Genesis, Exodus, and you get to Leviticus, and you go like, oh my gosh, what's this all about? You'll get bogged down there, you'll never get past it. So I want to give you a plan, you know? I just warned you about Leviticus, it's really detailed, and, but read it, still read it, but just get through it and go on. But... Uh, God's Word, every part of it is real, but sometimes some parts are harder than other parts. But you need a plan, so this is one way to have a plan. And it also teaches you in here how to journal, how to write down some of the thoughts as you... Cons- but it's not about just reading, it's about consuming God's Word and applying it to our life. So that's one thing I would encourage you. Also, for, for all of us here who are so technologically savvy, you know, that you'll do everything online, there is some incredibly f- incredible free online tools. A couple of sites that I use all the time, and we're gonna have these on our site this week. One of them is called BibleGateway.com. And Biblegateway.com not only has free multiple translations of scripture, but as you click click onto the area where it says other tools, it'll have Bible reading plans. And you can click on it every day and you can have your own little personalized Bible reading plan. And something I've begun to use is I journal, uh, I journal a lot, and one of the things I use, I use an online journal at a place called uversion.com, uversion. You We're going to have a link to that as well. And what it is, it's, a, it's Y-O-U, uversion. And what it is, it's multiple translations of Scripture. You actually log on to the site. You can actually journal. No one else sees it. It's a personal journal area for you, but also if you want to know what. And there's a place for community, for those of you who do the kind of things. You know, it's it's a good chat room area. Uh, And uh, it's a place where people put in little things about what they have learned from that scripture. You click on a verse, it shows you in community. It's a way of getting into God's word, consuming God's word in your life. So we'll have some of these links as well, And we'll give you more tools along the way in the weeks to come. But one of the things we want you to do more than anything else as we begin this year, first things first, is be consume, consume God's Word. Now the reason for that is obvious. So often in life what we do is we simply think that it's just God and us. But in this passage of Scripture we just read, there was another active ingredient in there. Who was it? Who was it? Satan. Now, I'm not trying to scare you this morning. This is not scare tactics. I don't believe in that. But I want you to know that Satan is alive and real. And he is powerful. But there's good news. He's not more powerful than a person who's in Christ. I mean, it says says in verse 11, at the end of that episode where Jesus was encountering uh, Satan and he'd gone through all these temptations. And after he encountered him, it says, Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him and I don't know what Satan looked like I don't think he looked like a guy with pointy ears and a pitchfork and a tail and you know things like that because the Bible says it says that in 2 Corinthians it says that Satan himself masquerades uh, as an angel of light you know Satan will never come to you looking like Satan like you think he's going to look like that's not going to tempt you is it I mean you're smart enough to run but, you know, he's going he's gonna to become to you in a sense, uh, the Bible says he's going to appear attractive to you, suave and sophisticated, kind of like me. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. The thing is, you need to understand that, that it's never going to come that way. And so what the thing is this, we need to understand is, is that Satan is alive and real? And we need to be fighting spiritual battles with spiritual resources, Because it says in Scripture as well over in 1 Peter, it says, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There are spiritual forces at work. If you think they're not there, you are being deceived. This is not neutral. But the good news is, it says says in James 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's not like those horror pictures that I don't watch. If you like horror pictures, you know, although I understand from what people tell me, I don't watch them, but I understand that constantly what happens there is there's always forces of evil and you can't get away from them. You know, they're kind of like, you know, there's a bunch of them on... on, And I'm going like, that is so anti-biblical. It's just unreal. But it says here in the Bible, it says, resist the devil and he will flee for you. And the way that we resist the devil clearly from from Scripture, is what just what Jesus did. He knew Scripture, and he applied it to his life. He applied God's truths to his life on a regular basis. So when it says that the enemy is like a, the devil is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and it says, Jesus says, I can't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, basically, the whole point of the day is this. It's either eat, Or be eaten. (laughs) You're going, oh, what a great way to go home. (laughs) Just think about that metaphor, though. Unless we consume God's word, we will be eaten up by our temptations, which Satan is always putting out there for us. Because he'd like nothing more than to trip you up this year and trip me up this year. And how we resist the devil and how we resist the temptations that's put out before us is to eat this book. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, this morning, as we're here, we realize that uh, more than anything, we need not simply information from your word. We need it to be a part of our lives in such a way that we will resist the temptations that come our way. Because, God, we can't do it on our own. We need to not only know God's Word, but we need to do God's Word. And that's what it means to eat this book, God, to consume your Word. It's not just about knowledge, it's about transformation. And God, more than anything this year, more than anything, no matter what goals we've set, no matter what uh, resolutions we've made, No matter where we are in life, the one thing that will make the greatest difference in our lives this year is to be more closely connected with you, God, and it begins. It begins through allowing your Spirit to work through your word to change us and transform us. Help us to be people of the book, not just people who know the book, but people of the book whose lives are lived out according to your plans and your principles and your priorities just like Jesus lived them. Thank you, God, that you give us your book and you will allow us to understand it as we will consume it, God, over a period of time. I mean, we won't know everything the first time we read through it. Every day when I read your word, God, as I've read it for years, new things come about. Some days it's more difficult than others. Some days things are just clear. But God, we know that you will... You will help us in our lives to to get a better handle on how to live life as we approach your word. Help us this year, God, to make a commitment. Commitment to eat your book. Consume this book, God. And have that incredible passion for your word. Thank you, God, for what you will do as we make that commitment in our lives, God.